Today's podcast is brought to you by Stratum Productions. Bringing clarity and order to the chaotic event industry, Stratum is your single-source pro-AVL rental and design resource, proudly servicing shows and special events throughout North America. Founded in the heartland, the company's Midwestern values, relentless pursuit of perfection, and relationship-driven customer focus help separate them from the rest. From the first downbeat to the final curtain call, the Stratum Pro team of industry titans are committed to providing the best gear and technical support available to help you create immersive events that will leave crews thankful and crowds speechless. To learn more about Stratum Productions, please visit www.stratumpro.com today. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me today on Geezers of Gear, episode number 166. And so, yeah, today, as I record this, it is Wednesday morning, May 25th, and we are knee-deep in hockey playoffs. And if you know me, you know I'm a hockey fan. And if you know I'm a hockey fan, you know that, number one, I'm a Calgary Flames fan. That's where I'm from, Calgary, Canada, and... My Flames have not won a Stanley Cup since 1989. And uh, so this year, they looked so good. It looked like they had all the pieces together. And I say had, like it's in past tense, but um, they're not doing so well. They're down uh, 3-1 in the series to the Edmonton Oilers. And it's just one of those weird series where I think they're playing well enough to win, uh, but they're just not getting the bounces. They're not getting the luck. And there's this crazy guy on the other team named Connor McDavid, who is, you know, every sport has one, uh, a guy who just at some point in the playoffs decides he, he can hit another gear that nobody else has. And, uh, he says, Hey team, jump on my shoulders. We're going to go for a ride. And, you know, the last guy in hockey, uh, well, I mean, certainly, I guess Sidney Crosby is one of those guys. Sometimes Ovechkin is one of those guys. Wayne Gretzky was certainly one of those guys. Lemieux was one of those guys. But this guy, Connor McDavid, he's special, man. And it, he's driving me crazy because virtually every goal that goes in the net, he gets a point on. He made some incredible pass. He did all the work and somebody else got the goal. And uh, so, yeah, it's not looking good for the Flames. And my other team, the Florida Panthers, where I had season tickets down here in Florida for a long time with the Panthers. And, you know, they're my adopted team, I guess you would call it. Um, you know, they got knocked out in four by by Tampa. So, yeah, it's not looking good for my hockey. I was so happy I had both my teams were in really good shape. They were two of the best teams in the league going into this. Florida won what they call the President's Trophy, which means they won the season. They got more points than anyone else in the league for the season. But sometimes that's a curse. You know, it's like the kiss of death. The the team who wins the President's Cup goes out in the first round of the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm a little unhappy about hockey, but that's okay because uh, it isn't okay. 
you know, hockey's over and then it's summer. There's no sports really, you know, I mean, there's still motor sports, of course, which is amazing. And uh, I'm actually going to talk with today's guest about that a little bit because she is a motorsports fan. Um, but first, I actually wanted to talk about something that I have had many conversations with many people who are probably even listening to this over the past, uh, I don't know, several months where I'm seeing this trend and, you know, everyone in our industry seems to think that, okay, COVID's over. We're all good. Everybody's good. You know, the companies that survived COVID are, are here to stay. They, they're strong. They're, they're, you know, great companies that managed to survive this and, and they're going to survive forever because they're much stronger now as a result. The problem is many of those companies, two things happened. One is they took on incredible amounts of debt. And, you know, I know that my own company took on some debt uh, in order to be able to survive this COVID thing for two years, but we didn't take on very much. We took on a little bit of debt that was enough to sustain us, and that was it. You know, we we tightened our our belts a little bit, and uh, uh, you know, reduced expenses and did whatever we could. Um, and our sales remained at least intact from a standpoint of we had sales. You know, I know a lot of companies who had none. And uh, so anyways, they, they took on a lot of debt. Um, some of that debt is this government-backed, like EIDL loans and stuff through the SBA. Um, but some of it was straight bank debt. Some of it was through leasing companies who were still able to write deals. And um, so coming out of, you know, when the lights turned back on, a lot of these companies had these, these P&Ls that showed no revenue over almost a two-year period, or call it a year and a half. And... Um, and all of a sudden, this this incredible amount of debt. So you've got your profit and loss statement shows that you know, hey, our sales went from ten million in two thousand nineteen to one million in two thousand twenty to three million in two thousand twenty one to suddenly twenty two. We're projecting ten million again, and banks are looking at this going, wait a minute. So what's happening? And then the other thing, the other uh, sort of catalyst that added to all of this is that a lot of companies, most companies, were using inventory, using their gear, their rental gear, their rental stock as currency. And so they were selling it off to be able to keep money coming in uh, during the pandemic. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing. That's your number one asset is, is in your warehouse. You know, that's uh, if, if you need to turn something into money, what else are you going to use? You know, you can't uh, you know, you can't sell the building that you're in necessarily, although some companies did. But um, so what's happening is it, it's sort of like a double whammy because now shows are coming in like crazy and they're saying, hey, I need a thousand of those moving lights that you used to have in 2019, but you sold in 2020 so that you could pay for your building and your staff. Um, and you're kind of going, well, geez, I don't have a thousand. I have a hundred. And they're saying, I'll give you this tour if you can come up with the other 900. And you're like, ah, what am I going to do? You know, where am I going to get those 900? So you go out to, you know, Artie or other leasing people out there and you say, hey, I need a lease for 900 of these ABC lights. And they look at your P&Ls and, and at your balance sheet and they're like, you know, Bob, I'm sorry, I, I can't get you this this lease. You know, I can try and get you five mini leases and put together at least half of this for 500000 or something, but, you know, I can't do it. And so I've heard this story way too many times, and I think 
sadly, we're going to see more companies that are going to struggle from this because it's, again, it's a double whammy. They're carrying debt. They need the shows to pay back that debt. They need to take on more debt so they can do the shows to pay back the original debt. And it's just a vicious, dangerous cycle or game that we're playing right now. And I don't think our industry has ever carried the amount of debt that we have today. And yet, on the other side, you have all these manufacturers who have had supply chain issues and they haven't been able to ship lights. They're looking to ship new lights now. And so they're going out to the designers and saying, can you spec my new lights? Or going out to the front of house engineers and saying, can you spec my new, you know, Digico console or my new, uh, you know, whatever line array, DNB line array system or whatever. And so these people are specking this new equipment and, the idea is someone's going to buy it. And there are some venture backed or, or private equity backed companies out there that seem to be spending to no limit. Um, but for the most part, you know, common sense is going to prevail again. So I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, to me, this world stage thing was a massive warning shot fired that said, Hey, you know, debt, debt equals bad things to come. And so sometimes debt is your friend but I today, to me, these companies that are carrying these massive amounts of debt, I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't want to wake up every morning knowing that I've got, you know, a billion dollars or a half a billion dollars in debt on my books. And I've got bankers calling me going, hey, you know, uh, I want to talk about this debt. And so, you know, the, the problem with bankers today, too, and our industry is there's just no patience. Like they, they're not saying, hey, Bob, can you pay me sometime next year or start paying me sometime next year? You know, no, it's I want my money now or, you know, we want you to start selling assets or, you know, uh, we're going to we're going to file something. <laughs> you know, we're going to come after that money. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a scary thing. Um you know, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't even know where it's going to end. Uh, I know I've talked to some people who are really struggling because of this exact scenario that I've I've laid out for you. And, uh, you know, it's 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 it could be a death blow for a lot of a lot of companies out there. And I know as we get into 2023 and 2024, remember, what does the bank, what do leasing companies ask for? It's either two or three years of financials. It's not one year. So it's not like, hey, I started doing okay midway through 21. So now can you lend me a million dollars? No, 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 because your P&L still look really bad. So you're going to need a good 21, a good 22, and a good 23. So now we're looking to 24 before a lot of these companies are able to take on debt. So, you know, and you're not going to be able to just go to Roby or or... Uh, you know, L acoustics or whatever and say, hey, can you lend me a million dollars? Can I pay for this equipment over 12 or 24 months? And certainly some of these companies are going to come up with some really creative financing programs to try and get around this. But that's a dangerous move because sometimes when the bank won't give that debt out, there's a reason, you know. And so anyways, not trying to bum everybody out because today's episode is going to be pretty fun. But it is a topic that's been weighing on me for the past uh I don't know, probably six or 12 months, like 12 months ago, I started saying to people, but what about this debt thing? And they're like, what debt thing? And I said, well, you know, companies who never had debt before suddenly have $2 million in debt because the money was easily available through these SBA EIDL loans. And so people took it, 
You know, it was like, hey, here's free money. Take it. You know, well, if I'm going to be dead anyways, I might as well just take it. You know, so now <clears throat> most of those EIDL loans had very patient repayment programs where it's like a 30-year mortgage, but you also didn't have to start making the first payment for, I think, 12 months or something. And so now those payments are coming due, which is not that big of a problem because, you know, if you borrowed a half a million dollars, it might be two or $3,000 a month like a, like, a, uh, like a mortgage. But the problem is that debt is on your books, it's on your balance sheet, and it's going to affect your uh, credit worthiness, your credit ability when you go out to raise money to buy a new building or to buy a new truck or to buy a new, you know, lighting or sound package or whatever. So yeah, it's a concern to me and I'll quit harping on it. But, uh, you know, anybody who wants to have a longer conversation about this, reach out to me and let's talk because I don't think I'm wrong on this one. And I've had some conversations with pretty high level people in our industry who happen to agree with with my thoughts on this. So um, today's guest was actually our first ever female young geezer. And so everyone thinks of geezer, they think of old white guys, right? And usually with British accents. Um but, you know, when I first started this podcast, Geezers of Gear was actually me and uh, a co-host who I had, who we were both old guys and we were going to sit and talk about gear. And what happened is it sort of flipped to where the, the guests became the geezers. And uh, that wasn't necessarily on purpose. It just kind of happened. Um, but occasionally, you know, we have to sort of buck that trend and make sure that we get uh, you know, goddesses of gear on, on the show too. So today we have the goddess of gear instead of geezers of gear. Maybe we should change the name. And uh, so she's an incredible designer. She's won, I believe, two LD of the year Parnelli awards, not just one because anybody could win one, right? But she had to win two. And if I remember correctly, it was for the Muse and I don't remember, but uh, maybe she can tell us. Um, she's developed and produced incredible moments for some of today's huge uh, headlining artists like Coldplay, which we'll talk about, The Muse, The Weeknd, uh, a lot of bands with the in the name, The Lumineers, Kiss, uh, The Imagine Dragons. No, it's just Imagine Dragons. I'm kidding. Rihanna, Pentatonix, Jay-Z, Halsey, Motley Crue, G-Eazy, which I happen to have playing in my car right now on my, uh, you know, CD player, kidding, um, and Depeche Mode. So uh, on top of that, she is one of the few people who I know who was a designer who um, pivoted, basically pivoted and created a company. She created a successful small business in Nashville during the pandemic, which we're going to talk about. And since the pandemic, she, she was one of the earliest designers out doing stuff. She's um, She's done... I think designs for Evanescence, Trivium, Scenic Design for Ghost. Uh, she's done the Lumineers, Vance Joy, uh, all kinds of stuff. So please join me and welcome the lovely and talented Sooner Ruthier. Sooner. Yes. Hi. Good morning. I just got to meet Sooner's assistant. Sooner has a staff now, people. She has a full staff and an office. And Oh, my God, no. <laughs> I, I jumped on Zoom to record this thing, and I was like, that ain't Sooner. And it was another <laughs> lovely lady named Allison who said, 
Awesome. Miss Ruthier will be with you shortly. She did not. <laughs> and then she, she said, she said, I hope you don't mind, but I'm eating bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like her I hope already. Miss Ruthier will be with you. No, shortly. no, oh no. God. I think she said sooner. I think she said sooner. I'll be here shortly. But yeah. <laughs> but no, it's yeah. I mean, it just got to a point, right? Like I just. I was missing calls because I was too lazy to put them in a calendar. You know, like it's just stuff like that. Well, it's not I was- lazy. It's just, you know, you got your way of doing things and that's it, yeah. right? So I'll tell you what, like I, I, so I've had an assistant one time in my entire career and I've had some fairly, you know, big, important, busy jobs and stuff. But yeah. one time it was at Martin and they insisted that I have a, a you know, executive assistant or whatever you call it. And so she hated her job because she never knew where I was. Like I would book my own hotels and go somewhere and she'd be like, are you in the office today? I'm like, no. And you know, this was pre social media, pre, you know, it was early stage cell phones and stuff. So, I mean, she hated her job so much and I hated having to answer to someone and having to sort of rely on someone to book my travel or book my now I think I'm probably grown up enough where I could actually do it. But I know people who, who say that finding the right assistant is like the most important thing that you could possibly do. It, it basically yeah. turns you into a three times you, you know? It yeah. Just- and that's what Allison has done. I mean, honestly, like I, it took me a while to figure out what I needed and how to have like you know because I always did everything myself so it was, yeah. it's just hard to like let go but once once I just added her to everything she's just she's a self-starter yeah so which I think is the most important thing for anybody like who's going to be an assistant but also like anybody in our business really like you kind of right. need to be a self-starter you just got to like look ahead at what people need and just figure it out oh know? hell yeah yeah you got to um, think of problems before before they've happened exactly sure. yeah exactly no, that's, um, that's amazing. Good for you. I, so how'd you find uh, Allison? Well, it's funny. Um, I was doing this, all this promo stuff in the fall time with Coldplay and everybody on the creative team was just like, can you please just find an assistant? Cause like, you know, I was, I had a really hard time keeping everything straight cause there was just so much going on. It was yeah. so full on. And I had a couple other projects that I was working on as well. So it was just impossible to keep everything straight. So I was actively looking for an assistant. And then um, Allison, who I had met like three, four years ago, we just had coffee once and she just wanted to know about the business and what I do. And she's a graphic designer. Oh. Um, and she she started doing doing some touring and she really loved the creative design side of things. So she hit me up out of the blue in the fall time. And was like, Hey, I really want to go to school to be a production designer. Um, where should I go? Like, can you, can we sit down and have coffee so we can talk through this? I was like, actually, you're not going to school. It's like, how would you like to oh, work that's with me? So awesome. So you yeah, just kind of tripped so, over. Yeah. And so, and that's it. Like, and now we're, she's been with you how long? Buds, um, since I think November of last year. Oh, that's cool. And she's local in Nashville or? Yeah, she lives in Nashville. Um, but she can still tour. So she tours and then assists me on the side as well. And like, that's so she's cool. Badass, so she can handle it all. And she's an incredible graphic designer. So she can do all my decks and awesome. Um, yeah, it's, she's freaking great. And she's, she's 
Yeah. Like I said, she's a self-starter. I'm just going to talk her up. So she's going to listen to this and she'd be like, Oh my God, this whole thing is about me. So, but I mean, no, I like, I literally know people myself included yeah. who are constantly sort of, should I, shouldn't I, you know, cause I still yeah. today don't have an assistant, even though, you know, I run multiple companies, you know, and, and this podcasting thing, like even setting up podcasts, setting up sponsorships, planning podcasts. I do all my yeah. own show notes for the podcast and stuff. So I do it all myself just because I'm one of those guys who's kind of old school. And I think by the time I explain to somebody the things that I want to talk to sooner about, I could have just typed it on my little note thing on my computer and it's just as easy, you know? And so, um, but like, give me, give me a couple of examples of how it's changed your life. Oh, well, I don't miss conference calls anymore. And she, she does this great thing where, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, and it's, I don't know. It's time management is a big thing. Right. So, and also, um, I sort of make, made an active choice to try to take weekends as much as possible off and Good like chill you. because my husband works for Gallagher staging. He gets weekends off. So yeah. I made sort of a, a choice to take those off and she's really great at being able to keep them free. And, um, you know, and also give me work days. So like, if I'm like, Hey, I need one day a week just to do work and like not get on a call or whatever. She's really good at scheduling things around that. So like time management is, is a big one. Yeah. Also, I mean, she's creative. So we bounce ideas off one another. Like, you know, I mean, she wants to be a designer as well. So like we can, we bounce, I have a collaborator, you know? Yeah. Um, do you, do you have like, this is a crazy question to ask on a podcast, but do you have like a non-compete with her? So she can't at some point just take your client list and leave and become a designer. I don't. How easy have I'm you made it for her? her. <laughs> well, then I've just planted I'm... an idea in her head. Cool. <laughs> there you go, Allison. <laughs> there you go, Allison. There's your seed. I could even tell you how to do it. We've all done it a hundred times. I've been at every moving like company, you know, it's what we do. We're plagiarizers. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. I mean, we just haven't, but that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, if she wanted to, good, but I don't, I mean, I, we have so much fun together. Like she sends me these great, like before, like I'll wake up in the morning and there'll be an email in my account that she sent at like midnight or whatever. And it's like my call list of things that are, that I have for the day. And then she always adds a fun little gif in it. So like I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I've got to set alarms for these calls. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a little like gif, like, a funny gif and the, the email. So I just, yeah. I always have a smile on my face when I wake up because I'm like, ha ha, that's, that's cool. a funny one. That's cool. Yeah. I, well, yeah. she's still new. You'll go from loving that to thinking, what a disgusting, why does she do these gifts? You know, it's just like so. marriage. It's just like marriage. What's cute today is like the most annoying thing in the world two, three years from now. So just wait, you know, it'll all change. It'll all change. I like to predict the future, especially when it's nice one. Yeah. So before we get started talking about, you know, work and stuff, we have to discuss Formula One. Oh my God. So what do you think of this season so far, Miss Sooner? I mean, I'm very bummed at how Mercedes is doing because that's my team, but um, I like that. I like that everything's changed up and now that there's different people on the podiums, which is great. Uh, and it's, I don't know, the playing field's a little bit more leveled. So I love that. Um, I'm only just now wrapping cause I haven't had a ton of time to really like wrap yeah. my head around what's going on technically, but I've only just now wrapped my head around that 
why the cars are doing the porpoising yeah. crap. Like, and, and now I understand it. Like yeah. I saw one of my friends sent me this great, um, article with like a video showing. I saw that it was like, uh, so it was like e- NBC or, or something or ABC or the New York times. Was it? Yeah, it was New York times. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, actually I sent you that. Did, I think oh, I sent you that. I think I said, well, my that. friend Patrick Murphy sent oh, it to me too. Oh, okay. Maybe I didn't um, send it but to yeah, you. Because yeah, so no, I sent I that to a bunch of people. Yeah, I think you sent it to me as well. So oh. I got it from you and I got it from Murph. But yeah. um, so it just, I'm only just now wrapping my head around it. Um, but that's such but, a cool way of showing what it yeah. is, like what all these differences are and stuff. So yeah, it's really helpful. Um, Mer- you say Mercedes is your team, but mm-hmm. even now that, Lewis has become such a douche. Yeah, I'm not a fair weather fan. <laughs> well, I guess I am because I used to be a Lewis Hamilton fan until yeah. like, I don't know, probably three years ago. Like I'm always an underdog fan too. So I yeah. always like, I like when, you know, the young sort of scruffy guy comes up through the system and beats people. And, yeah. you know, I like rough around the edges. I like people who don't take themselves too seriously. Like I love yeah. Daniel Ricardo, even though he's having a terrible time, but you know, I just think he's become such a douche. Like it's just <laughs> hard. It's hard to love Lewis Hamilton right now. Uh, well, I mean, there's also George Russell, right? Like Mercedes yeah. is not, I mean, I'm a Mercedes fan. I am a Lewis Hamilton fan, but I'm also a George Russell fan. Yeah. Um, and I think that he's doing really well. So, yeah, he is. um, I mean, I honestly like, the shit storm that ensued last season didn't help. Right. Like, right. I mean, we all had a couple bad years, you know, and it took us all a little bit to get out of our funks from that. Like, yeah. I can't imagine like this cha- world champion seven times. Yeah. Champion, yeah. I can't like has this season where he's just completely dicked over. Yeah. And then he, how, like, it's going to take more than, what 10 months how how long off do they have less than that yeah it's like no four, it's only a few months off. yeah like, yeah I, like how do you how do you get over something like that you know what i mean so i'm i'm sure like mentally he's not let's in a just great say there's spot. multiple versions of that dicked over thing it's true yeah very so, true i'm a max fan so i see it from the other side oh, too, God. Right? but Sorry. um but Sorry. you know the fact that <laughs> they're on a roll right now because yeah. you know like I mean, obviously, you know, my kids in racing, but yeah. what's happening in the U.S. right now with racing, like between what happened at this Miami race, they broke all kinds of records uh, in Miami as far as attendance and um, mm-hmm. viewership and uh, friggin prices. I mean, the prices yeah. like on Ticketmaster, you couldn't get an actual seat like in one of the grandstands or something for under a thousand bucks and and parking from Ticketmaster, not from scalpers. Parking was $250. I have a friend who paid $900 to park his car just at that race. Just to park. And you're parking like a mile away and getting shuttled in too. So, yeah. you know, it's not a perfect venue, but I'll tell you what, they, I don't know if you know, but the Miami Dolphins Stadium is in the hood. And so they, yeah, I, they converted this place. <laughs> into mm-hmm. a pretty kick-ass racetrack yeah. facility, racing facility. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, there were some stupid things like the podium with the police escort and all that stuff. That was cheesy as hell. And the football helmets. On it was the just kind of funny watching like the entire team, including what's her face from Spice Girls, like yeah. jogging in his heels down yeah. like the. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of crazy. But uh, but, you know, that was it was huge. And the Vegas thing's going to be even bigger. And I am excited for that. And, you know, now New York City is trying to get a, a race, yeah. which may or may not happen. And so I'm a little concerned about all of this, though, because I feel like the biggest, like most amazing thing about Formula One is just how international it is yeah. and how many different cultures are, you know, obsessed with the sport. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm a little concerned that it's going to get a little Americanized. And I think that that's, you know, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that it doesn't get to that. But part of part of the Americanization of of the sport is turning these from race days into events, right? Yeah. Because that's what we do it's in cool. this country. You know, in yeah. this country, it's not a race; it's a massive. Yeah. It's the Super Bowl, right? Where you have performers, and there's going to be concerts and all kinds of stuff around it. And just like the Saudi race, the Saudi race is the same correct. way. Yeah, correct. You're exactly right. So Singapore has always had that. So, so there's an argument going on. Like I follow it every once in a while on Twitter of, is this good? Is this bad? Brits, yeah. f- for example, you know, typical uptight racing fans, they're like, you know, the, the event is bigger than the motor sport itself and the race itself. And these people are fools and it's all about the celebrities, not the race. And, yeah. it, you know, I get that. I completely understand it, but the fact is what it's doing for sort of the the stock of racing in this country is massive. Like IndyCar yeah. for the first time in a long time sold out a race that we were there. Uh, my son was racing as the sort of opening act, right? Yeah. At uh, Barber Motorsports Park. And, you know, they sold out. They hadn't sold out a race at Barber Motorsports Park. So, um you know, it's a, and their viewership is way up too. Their their uh, stats are really good on IndyCar right now too. So it's good yeah. for motorsports. I I agree. That I mean, I just don't. I just hope they still keep it as yeah. international as possible. No, I agree with you on that. That's a, that's a very good need, point. I mean, do we really need three Formula One races in the states? Like, well, but at the same time, three Formula One races. Yet, yet we still don't have an American driver. In Formula One, I know that's a thing. You, you know, they're all European drivers. By the way, there, you know, you know, it's coming. There's well, going to be it's going to be Col- driver, Colton Herta. He's going to yeah, be the first exactly. one. It, it, yeah. He's he's the golden child right now. It's it's all set yeah. up and it's going to happen uh, at some point as soon as Andretti gets a team in there. But yeah, it's all interesting. I mean, the fact that the Spanish Grand Prix was was. Uh, was as big as and interesting as it was like that's never an interesting race but it was no. actually pretty interesting yeah so. i know i never get excited for that one on the circuit in fact this weekend we were um we were chilling out and wanting to watch the race and i was just like yeah it's insane and then we watched it. i was like oh okay never mind this, yeah this is yeah no it was pretty exciting yeah, it, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I love this season because it is so different from previous seasons. Yeah. I'm just obviously bummed because Mercedes couldn't get their shit together. Uh, and then when they do get their shit together this weekend, Lewis's attitude is like, oh, we should just retire the car and save the engine. Like, yeah. what the hell yeah. are you doing? And, and then he actually climbed up the ranks. Yeah. It was like, why, why did you have what? Because he's a douche. Because he's, <laughs> he's a douche. No, but I do. I was a little an- annoyed that he was like spreading all this like positive 
affirmations all over social media. And then he's like negative Nancy, Debbie Downer on the, the comms. But yeah, anyway, whatever. <clears throat> whatever. But Botas is top 10, I think every race, right? I know. Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, so <laughs> I love that. Like some of those lesser teams have, you know, shined yeah. in all of this. And I mean, McLaren, I guess is not doing so well, uh, considering and, but anyways, yeah, we had Norris to talk is about one of my favorites. <clears throat> I do love Lando Norris. Yeah, Lando um, Norris is cool. I, I'm yep. just such a Ricardo fan, so I, I want know. Ricardo to beat Lando Norris. But for whatever reason, like Ricardo needs a better manager or something because he's made some bad decisions, you know, leaving Red Bull and going to uh, Renault and then leaving Renault yeah. and coming to McLaren, which looked like a genius decision. But he probably should have driven the car before doing that because this car ain't yeah. matching is not matching yeah. his driving at all. So, yeah. Nope. So, nope. <laughs> um, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss this thing, the pandemic. And yeah. so you were one of, I don't want to give you too much credit here, but <laughs> you were one of the smart ones who, and, and I'm not saying designers who just sat around waiting for touring to open back up were stupid because for one, that's their gig. That's what you do. You're a lighting designer. You design yeah. shows. If there's no shows to design, what are you supposed to do? But you actually pivoted and created a, a, a business. So yeah. tell, tell me about that. Um, it, it's a home staging company. Um, I don't really remember exactly how the idea came about, but I think it was just like one of the, like, you know, the tour started kind of scheduling. And then all of a sudden another wave came around and then they all canceled again. So it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to go through this crap again. And I really need to do something. So, um, I think maybe I was like watching HGTV or something. I don't even remember. I, or I was like thinking I have always been like in love with interior design. So how can I like become an interior designer? I started looking at like interior design school. Like how can I get like a degree or whatever in it and and learn from home. And then I started talking to some interior designers and then through all that research, I realized that there's this whole little business called home staging that is and especially in this real estate market, like people are leaving their homes empty to go buy another home elsewhere. And they need to, you need a home sells quicker if more quickly, if it's like filled with furniture and like styles stylized properly, because then people can understand where to put things. So, um, research that did like a 10 hour course or whatever online, um, and learned the basics. And then, um, I don't, I just, I, one of my good friends said she'd always wanted to be do home staging cause she had to do it for her house yeah. and it was expensive and it looked like a lot of fun. So like she could have just done it herself. Um, and so we, we went into business together and we each invested like a tiny amount of money and bought furniture and started getting jobs. But it's basically like, it's really, it's, it's, we were loading into homes. We were using roadies that were out of work to load into homes. That's incredible. I didn't know that part. Uh, Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I would give them a day sheet and with all the information, um, and we would, we would load into a home, within like four to six hours, like completely set up, like load the truck and then, um, bring it to the house, load it in. I color coded everything. I actually had like room signs, like, like laminate wow. colored construction paper 
And then each like bin had its color on it. And like, we would put the room signs up with like arrows <laughs> pointing That's where so they cool. went. Um, <clears throat> and it basically felt like I was staging an artist for a TV show. Right. Cause you're, everything is about the pictures and how the pictures look online for real estate. So right. um, I would just, you know, my business partner and I would just stage these vignettes in the house and like try to figure out where the camera angle was going to be. And then, um, yeah. So the, the customer was the real estate broker or usually, yeah, yeah. usually the real estate agent builders as well. Builders, um, in the area, you know, when they build a new house, it's completely empty. And so for their portfolio, they, they liked to have things staged and yeah. then also for whatever real estate photos they needed. So, so yeah. you just had a small warehouse full of furniture and stuff and yeah, we were operating out of her garage forever. Oh. So and then, yeah. so how did you find clients? They, so we kind of, we would send some emails out to real estate agents and then, you know, it was hard because you, it's difficult to do in-person meetings with real estate agents. But, um, after like, once you meet one and it's, it's a networking job, just like our industry is, yeah. um, had to network to meet people to, to be able to get more and more jobs. So it was just about, you know, Hey, we're, you know, we're available. We've, we're looking to stage some more homes. Can you introduce us to your real estate buddies? And then we would get like four or five more calls from that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was a pretty small operation, um, because the industry, like the real estate business was getting, it was so fast moving that this, like people are putting bids on homes before they even go on the market. So it got to a point, like even last year where people were like, yeah, we don't even need home staging because it's just going to sell without any of it. Like yeah. people. Are, so they <clears throat> get, it slowed down quite a bit last year, but it slowed down right as our business started picking back up. So it kind of like worked out. Worked out. Okay. Yeah. Um, so did yeah, your, and I'm, did mm -hmm. your, did your career like help sell you as oh, a, as a sure. home staging oh, person or whatever? Yeah. Cause we used, we used all of that information, like our whole, like you have to do design proposals as well. So we had like a proposal template and, and it was like all pictures from our world. And it's like, basically like, you know, we're staging your home. Like we would stage a, a, a concert or whatever. Right. It was, we used that as our marketing tool for sure. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> would be a big differentiator, I guess. You know, yeah. if you've got like, yeah. you know, Sally and Betsy over here who, you know, wear flowery dresses and, and this is all they've ever done is stage homes. And then you've got these rock star lighting designers over here who, you know, yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it that's worked. Cool. I mean, I mean, honestly, like I, I, I love it. Like we're, we're selling now we're selling all the furniture. Um, and, um, I would totally keep it going a hundred percent. It's just, I need, um, I need somebody involved that can help me run the business while I'm yeah, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, so, right? Yeah, and she's she's um, you know, she's got her two kiddos, and um, yeah, yeah so it it just so you're selling off the in inventory and winding it down again. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, yeah. what a what a cool spin pivot business yeah. to do, you know? Because again, I like you know, you and I talked a lot during the pandemic, and you know, I know you did a lot of charity stuff. I want to talk about one of those as yes. well, but um you know, when you told me about this, I was like, what a great idea. You know, like I know if I was staging a house and I had to choose between eight different companies and one of them was the lighting designer for kiss, you know, or whatever, <laughs> I'd be like, 
Yeah, I think that's the one I want to work cool. with right there, you know. Filled with flames and yeah, silver. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let's blow this shit up. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, there's another fun. spin business off of that where um I have a friend in Florida who who he's an attorney and he's single and mm-hmm. he lives in like these $20 million mansions on the water in Tampa. And mm-hmm. what it is is when they're putting these houses up for sale, they don't want them empty. So they're furnished, yeah. but they want someone in there who's turning the air conditioning on and, and yeah. keeping the lights on and off and making sure the place is clean when somebody's coming to view it and stuff. So he lives in these places for free. Nice. And usually it's like a 10, 15, $20 million house doesn't sell overnight typically. So yeah. usually he's in it for a year. And then yeah. they'll call him up and say, hey, it's, it's uh, sold. We're looking probably to close in the next 30 days. Would you like to live at, you know, blah, 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 Bayside Drive? And he'd be like, yeah, let me take a look at that one. And he'd move over <laughs> there for a year, you know. And no I mean, pretty cool gig, you know. Yeah. Pretty cool gig. Like, Seriously. You're not really doing anything. You're just kind of the caretaker yeah. of the house. And you live in a $20 million waterfront house for free. And he'd just have his jet skis and his boat moved over to the oh new God. place. And That is amazing. Yeah. Kind of I a, love it. That's awesome. Kind of a cool opportunity. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. I mean, I'd have to bring a, a husband and a dog along with, but. <laughs> no, and he had, uh, well, he's married now, but he had his girlfriend at the time that lived with him. And nice. uh, uh, yeah, you know, they were just the occupants of the house and it'd be like, hello, you know, they'd show show the place or not be there if they the agent didn't want them there. I love it. But, yeah. So speaking Mm. of charity, so I know the one that, that I had learned a little bit about, which I think was named differently at the time, but it's now called even, which I think stands for events, vocational education network. (laughs) And you had some involvement in that, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm one of the founding members. Um, yeah, so there's there's six of us involved. It is such a marathon. Oh, it's hard. Um, we're we're submitting our bylaws for nonprofit status now. Yeah, which is very exciting. Um, so essentially, you know, one of the things out of the pandemic, we all kind of realized, and we spoke about this a lot on on your calls and yeah. on several other like industry calls about how you know a lot of people aren't coming back to our careers. Like they're not, they're not coming back to the live entertainment space because, you know, maybe they've discovered that they can be home with their families or they've discovered another passion for another job, or they've started their own businesses. And, and so we, we've lost a lot of our workforce and, you know, there's also this diversity challenge in our industry, um, you know, which I've always been very fortunate and blessed with amazing men that have mentored me and and brought me up into the business. Um, you know, but it would be really nice to see our backstage workforce look like the audiences that attend our shows. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And so we, we sort of, we started trying to like figure out what the challenge is and why this isn't, why it's our, our backstage industry is not very diverse. And, and honestly, it's just about visibility, but that's by design, right? Like our careers, our entire livelihoods as backstage professionals, as we're supposed to stay behind the scenes because it's not about us. It's about the person on stage, right? right? That person on stage is the person needs to shine brightly. So we are the mysterious magic behind the scenes and nobody right. knows about us. Yeah. And um, a lot of parents don't realize that this is an extremely fruitful career. Yeah. I mean, I was making a lot of money in my twenties touring. Yeah. 
yeah. instantly and had and traveling around the world on somebody else's well, dime. Look at the rates now. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it's insane. and now you can pay quite well these days, especially because there's not enough people. So yeah. <clears throat> we, we sort of, um, dissected all these challenges and what's going on. And, and we came up with this, this plan. That's like four pillars based off four pillars. The first one's community engagement as in like reaching out to communities and saying, Hey, these paths exist. You don't have to be the hip hop star on stage. You don't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to be that person on stage. You can actually have a really cool career where you're mixing, uh, audio or you're running lights or you're tuning the guitar, whatever you can be, you can have a different career path in the industry. Um, and that has longevity also, right? Like our careers have longevity, um, in the entertainment space. So, um, basically community engagement to explain that these pathways exist. And then once, you know, someone's interested, like there's a whole education platform that we've been developing. It's still in development. It's, it's online based. So it's, it's a, it's, PDFs and lots of clickable click videos. Um, our, we've got a couple of video examples that are so good. They're taught by Chris Lyle in Nashville. We've got a tour bus one yeah. that is fascinating. Um, These are on the site. Um, we have them. They're, they're not public yet because we're still building uh, the platform out. Um, we actually, that that's the hardest part is trying to build out the curriculum because we're not video editors. Right. And we don't, and now that our jobs have started back up again, we don't have time to edit videos and to produce them. Uh, so we need massive amounts of help in that regard. Um, also like it takes money. Like if we want to actually get video editors and have somebody produce them, um, we need to pay that person. So yeah. we don't have money We're, everything's volunteer based right now. We, we Yeah. So, Which was easier during the pandemic to get people to volunteer to do things because they were just happy yeah. to be doing something, exactly. to be engaging, right? But now everyone's now it's thoroughly impossible. engaged. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now we're just, yeah. But that's, I mean, I could talk about the needs all day long. But yeah. um, once once they go through, so the, the idea of the education platform is essentially you're getting like a very basic knowledge of every single pathway that you could possibly go into. And yeah, there's some missing, like we don't have a wardrobe program yet. And we don't have a backline program or we need both of those in there, but it's like, you know, for like a, what, how long a week or whatever you're learning the very basics of lighting, the very basics of audio, video, rigging, not certified special effects. Um, because we think everybody's going to be like, Oh, I want to learn lasers and pyro. Uh, and then there's also a class about finances, a class about the management side and like how the, you know, tours are staffed. We're like what the hierarchy of positioning is. Um, and did you ever learn about contracts when you were in school? Right. Yeah. No, no one yeah. ever told me like, Hey, this is the difference between a 1099 and a W two. Like this is like, if you go this pathway, you need to have insurance, whatever. That so are each of these areas like, um, industry sponsored, corporate sponsored, like is pyrotechnico doing the SFX section of it? We are trying really hard to get people to help us with these things, but it's so difficult because everybody is so slammed. Yeah. So, um, we are, and it's, you know, yeah, it's, we just need a little bit of help. Like we need, we need somebody first off, we need to hire somebody that can basically organize all this stuff. Like we need an Allison. Right. right. So, um, because the, the one person that is in charge of all the logistics and everything, um, is just working nonstop. Yeah. He's a lighting center as well. So, um, 
Yeah. I trust me, I understand the complications. But you know, the reason I asked you that though was because it's funny, I I actually had uh Steven Vitale um from Pyrotechnico on the podcast last week. And he said one of the areas that they're really focusing in as a company is education. And they just hired like a senior VP of education or something uh, within their company. So you should reach out to Stephen and just just say, hey, Stephen, you know, like while you're developing this curriculum, because it's for the same reason they're. They're creating yeah. education to bring people from outside the industry into the industry, which mm-hmm. should be at the forefront of everybody's mind in these larger companies right now. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure while he's I'll creating this curriculum and stuff, they could easily put together a one week program for you guys. Oh, that's so, great. so the oh, idea oh, is you go out to the communities, you go to people yeah. and you say, hey, come spend a week with us. Is it all virtual? I would expect. It's all virtual. So it's actually like, it's more like a 10 week program. They just do this online. Like they apply and then they get in, they do it. And the idea is like, they get this like basic knowledge of all these departments. And at the end of it, they're like, Oh, I really loved audio. That was the one that I really loved. Like I, I, I want to be, I want to learn more about audio or I want to learn more about special effects. And then we would pair them with like, once they say, okay, this is like kind of where I'm interested. We would pair them with, um, a, a mentor that's already yeah. doing that job. Right. Uh, and then that mentor would help guide them into a paid apprenticeship. So what a, what a great concept. I love it. Yeah. I, it's just an end to end pipeline. Right. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I love I mean, it. I, I think it's fantastic. Put, yeah. And we're not looking to put hundreds of people into the workforce gear, like with our pilot program, we're just looking to make sure that it's like, this works. Here's, 10 new people into the workforce and then it can grow from there. But we're working really closely with Noel Skaggs from diversify the stage. Um, and in fact, I'm, a, I'm going to be jumping on some calls with her and some other vendors in the next couple of weeks here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, I don't know, like a lot of people are like, I want to do this, but I don't know how to get in the, in the industry. Right. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, or they so, don't know, like you said, like people yeah, don't understand. Right. They mm-hmm. think you're carnies and yeah. you know, you're a bunch of meth head freaking <laughs> making, exactly. making no money, minimum wage, starving to death on the road. You know, this is yeah. what people think of our industry. And maybe it was like yeah. that, like in the eighties or something, but yeah. today it's a lucrative career that may yeah. be the best option for a lot of these people because you know, uh, some people, especially if you're talking about people in some of the, you know, some of the communities out there and stuff, like they don't have a lot of options where they can make a hundred thousand dollars a year. This is a real viable option to do that, to, to jump and into a career. Travel, without, which to me is like probably the, for me, huge. traveling is as big as the money because I mean, our society very clearly is full of very narrow-minded individuals <laughs> and the best way to expand your mind is to travel and see other cultures and other ways of, you know. Well, no, you're right life. about that. Like, and I didn't <laughs> know really how much, you know, I grew up in Canada and I didn't yeah. know how closed-minded, ignorant, whatever word you want to use, but people were until when I moved here and people would say, where are you from? And I'd say Canada. And they'd say, do you know Jim Smith? And I'd be like, I don't know. Where does he live? In Canada. You know, and I'm like, it's kind of a really vast place, you know? It is bigger than the United States. Or you say, I'm I'm from Canada. And they say, oh, Vancouver or Toronto? You know, there's a whole country 
around I those know. two, right? You know, but yeah, the uh, state north of us, what are you talking about? <laughs> but no, you're right. The travel thing, I mean, especially like young people today, especially now with this whole virtual thing and, and doing what we're doing right now, being on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's sort of negating travel. It's sending us back 40 years as far as travel yeah. is concerned. Like, you know, when I was a kid, you didn't just fly somewhere on a whim or whatever, like, which meant that I didn't see anything That's until true. I was in my late teens. And it was mm -hmm. because I was in the music industry. And yeah. uh, so, you know, growing up, I mean, other than a weekend camping with my family or something, we didn't travel. And yeah. so now that I think we've gone back to that because of COVID. And yeah. so the, the fact that it opens that door, no, I, I think what you're doing is great. If there's a way I can help, you know, just yes, we need help. Poke um, and say, Marcel, I need your help. You know, yeah. could you do this? <laughs> I know, Whatever I've got it is. Well, I'm kind of taking the summer off a bit and I'm going to focus a little bit more on it. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to be traveling so much for work this summer. I, I've kind of made a conscious effort to take some time. Good for you. And, um, and it should give me a little bit of time to be able to focus on it more. But I mean, realistically speaking, like our needs are money. Well, I have none <laughs> of that. Video editing. I'm in, I'm in the live events industry and suffered through COVID. So don't ask me. I know me. this is the problem is we don't want to ask for money. That's yeah, the problem, right? Yeah. We don't want to ask for money because we recognize that everybody has just gone through this. Well, what you do is you ask for money outside the industry from people who want yeah. to be in our industry, whether they're yeah. insurance companies, banks, you know, leasing people, yeah. uh, whatever it is. Like there are people outside our industry who want to tap into this live event yeah. space and, and they're the ones that'll pay that money. Yeah. So yeah. we're, we're working on that. We're actually speaking with somebody right now that can help us with that. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it's just like money and, um, you know, the, the ability to create this education platform. We are making some pretty big headway in California. We're participating in a, an apprenticeship program. Um, and, uh, that's, it's actually a pretty massive program. Um, so and do, we're, we're making some big headway there. Do people pay? to, to come to this one week program or is it fully? No, it's all free. Um, it, and the thing is like, it's, there's no tests or anything. Right. Cause like, that's the thing is like, there's so many people like I was terrible at standardized testing. Like freaking SATs sucked. Like I, yeah. like people don't, not everybody can test. Not everybody can. Well, you have know, you guys like looked into any kind of not lobbyists, but, um, there's federal money available for this stuff. You know, it's yeah, an educational program. Of, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. We, we really we're we're kind of laser focused on getting this, the bylaws out and like getting our nonprofit right. um, application done. And then um, we're working on this California apprenticeship program. Yeah. Um, so we're pretty laser focused on that right now. And then, you know, once we get that stuff out the door, we can really focus on building the education platform and like getting grants and everything. Cause grant writing is not for the faint of heart. No, I think we all no. sort of realize that right yeah. in the pandemic, like we're all going out for SVOG and everything. It's not, and that wasn't even really grant writing. That was just, you know, like we yeah. didn't have to write massive applications. So yeah, I mean, we'll get there. Cool. It's, we're, you know, every time I mention the program and I explain it, I get like, well, how can I help? How can I help? And it's, it's great. Like people are interested. Yeah. We just, oh, sorry. No, I've, Cleo says hello, everybody. Hi. 
<laughs> I think there's definitely opportunities, you know, to tie in with, with existing schools, uh, universities, colleges, whatever, um, the government, you know, some, some Senator or congressperson or something is going to take this on as a pet project and say, this is a really great people or a, a great way to offer people an opportunity. You know, again, somebody who is growing up entirely disadvantaged in a very disadvantaged community, who's looking mm-hmm. at the future through a pretty dark lens and going, yeah. shit, you know, I can work at McDonald's and then maybe I might work my way up to manager someday or whatever. Yeah they don't have a lot of options in their mind and you're coming in and saying, Hey, see the world, hang out with pop stars and make a really great living doing it, you know, and learn some new skills. And guess what? The longevity thing is a very good point because there's a lot of things that you can do for five years or whatever and get burned out. But how many people do you and I know who are in their sixties and seventies still touring and loving life, you know, and wouldn't do anything else. Exactly. There you go. Love him. There's one so of many. Much. There's one of oh, many. Oh my God. I know. So I speaking of Coldplay, yeah. so I have not seen the show, but I've seen loads of pictures and video and stuff because yeah. there have been a lot of pictures and video and it's been, uh, what was it on HBO or something? Uh, we did um, an, a live stream on Amazon. Amazon. That, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. They ended, it's like, it was the opening of the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. Right, right. Um, I mean, the show looks amazing, of course. Thank you. And Thanks. so it's fun. this is, uh, what's this called? Music of the Spheres, right? Yeah. yeah what's yeah, what's yeah. that all about? That's the name of the album, I guess. The name of the album. I mean, there's a, it's, there's a whole storyline behind it that I don't even know if I could attempt to explain. Um, but it's basically about... Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically about a music festival in space. Ah, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think. I mean, it's this is the thing. It's like there's there's so many like different avenues you can go through with music of the spheres, right? But it's it's very celestial in nature. Cool. I guess is the best way to. And so yeah. it's out now still, right? Yeah, it's um, it's on the road. It's in North America. It's uh, the next show is in Chicago. They're doing two shows at Soldiers Field. Oh, cool! Um, I believe this weekend. Yeah. So we're gonna see um, some upstaging spam on social media. I hope I'm guessing so. loads they of spam. Man, upstaging! They freaking killed it. They did such a great job. That yeah. crew is amazing. Like I. I love it. I love them so much. We had, we had a really great time with them. Yeah. For sure. I, yeah. uh, I was looking for some pictures of it and stuff this morning and, uh, yeah. I, I saw an upstaging post and, and they said, you know, thanks to sooner the lighting goddess. They call, so in our God. intro today, it's I so called embarrassing you, by the way, <laughs> in, in our intro this morning, I called you the goddess of gear. You're no, you're not a geezer of gear. You're the goddess of gear now. So yes, this, that's this is, great. This, I liked geezette though. When you were like, we should do, yeah. we should do another one. You were like, maybe we call it the geezette of gear. I liked that. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah. Well, now you're the goddess of gear. So <laughs> okay, great. Un- until, oh, until, you know, you start aging a little bit and then, you know, we might cross over from goddess to geezette again you know okay i'm happy to. to be a gazette i mean it's yeah. fine i love that it's very embarrassing by the way to be called goddess but right. that's okay <laughs> so well it's a tough standard to live up to i mean you know you gotta you gotta come on zoom calls dressed you can't like wear your pajamas 
<laughs> like the biggest bullshit artistry ever, by the way. Um, yeah. Yes, I am in my pajamas, so I am very far from being. <laughs> well, I did warn you that there's no video on this, but surprise. No, surprise. It's kidding. okay. I have nothing to hide. I am good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Who hasn't seen Sooner in her pajamas? You know? I know, right? All those Zoom calls we were doing through the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we talked earlier. The last time I think I actually saw you on a Zoom call, you were drunk programming uh Coldplay in Cold a hotel play. room and it, it was a trip yes. you were hilarious you were like hey everyone how you doing <laughs> what's up guys <laughs> it was yeah this cool. song actually turned out to be the best one of the show by the really? way uh, no, really <laughs> fully remember. inspired by tequila <laughs> that's good I mean what are you gonna do like you we were stuck in quarantine right like yeah. I had a console in my room um, and I got to program for the first time in a year and a half or something like that. And you were there for a while too, right? Yeah. Uh, that trip was five weeks. I yeah. think, huh. I think maybe it was less actually it might've been three weeks. Um, but yeah, I went back and I've been, I've been back and forth quite a bit. I feel like it's a second home at this point. And the whole um, thing was done in previs or just a little bit. And then you've actually well, got to a pr production rehearsal somewhere. Yeah. That particular little bit was just, we were doing, um, Glastonbury and we were doing, um, this show at Whitby Abbey for BBC. Mm. Um, and so we had to pre like, I had to start from scratch just pre-visiting the file. And then we went into like band rehearsals for one day and then drove up to Whitby Abbey to do the first show. And then overnight to Glastonbury to do the second show. So there's actually um, two teams of lighting people on this because it was impossible for me to be at both at the same time. Right, so yeah. um, my lovely dear friend, Steve Nolan in the UK, who's a lighting designer slash production manager uh, was like my second out there. And he handled Glastonbury until I could get there. And he, and he handled like you know, the little things like not the little things, but like the Brit Awards, which was on a barge in the middle of the Thames because yeah. I couldn't get there because of COVID. Um, and he handled a couple of other things um, what, because, yeah, I couldn't travel. Yeah. So that was like they they flew me over and stuck me in quarantine for five days or whatever it was. And then um, did those two shows. And then there was like a large gap of time between when I went back over there because, you know, they weren't doing any shows. Um, and I think the next time was like in September, we started back up in LA doing some promo stuff. Right. Um, and then that was it. And I was, I did promo all through, I mean, basically through January of this year. You've, you've done cold. So, this is like your second or third cold play tour, isn't it? This is, so I started with them Halloween, 2019. Um, I started, with Saturday Night Live um, and their last album, which was the Everyday Life, Everyday right. Life album, which was like a, you know, really toned back, really beautiful album. Um, and that was my first go around with them. But it wasn't like, I think the biggest show we did for that was the Palladium in LA. Like it was all pretty like stripped back. Yeah. But we did really fun, like adventure shows. Like we, we, they did the album release in Amon Jordan. Jesus. And some like, Roman ruins on top of this like plateau in the middle of the city. Oh my gosh. It's like hands down. Like top. Yanni, Yanni kind of shows. It, yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, I'm telling you, like I, it was like the coolest experience of my life in this business was doing that show. Yeah. Um, 
And when I did that, I was like, oh man, this group is for me. This is, this is fun. This yeah. is cool. And then like, we, we finished that show and like flew to London. And then like the next day did a show in the, um, uh, oh my gosh, the, the museum with the big whale in the, in London, is it the natural history museum? Maybe I think, yeah, the museum. Yes, natural it is. Yeah. 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 We did that one. Uh, so it's like, this is just like, there's just so many adventures with this group. That's so. cool. Well, yeah, plus, they awesome. seem like fun people to work with. They're like Chris, Chris Martin sweetest. just seems like he's so the genuine, coolest guy to to be around. You know, I, yeah, unless you're they're what's her name, Gwyneth Paltrow, I guess. But <laughs> she must have liked him for a while too. You know, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they are as genuine as they seem on in TV interviews, everything that is who they are. When yeah. you see him laughing and joking around, like that's who he is. Yeah. He's that guy. That's, that's who he is. That's cool. cool. I've always yeah, really liked them. Great. I, I never, yeah. it's funny because I never really liked, um, I've never been a U2 fan. And yeah. so when Coldplay first came out, my ex-wife was in the record business and she was working their album. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing it and going, you know, it's definitely you too, but I kind of like these guys. Like they're a little more raw, a little, I don't know. They're just, they seem more fun than you two. Like you two just kind of to me, I don't know. I just never got the thing, but, um, but I really liked Coldplay from the first time I heard it and seeing them live is always just such a cool experience. You know, the the fun things they do with the audience and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like I, and I honestly, like I didn't get to see, a big show with a big audience until that climate pledge show. Oh, right? wow. Like, that's really the very first time I got to see them in their element with, you know, I don't know how many people were sold out. It was 360 and play. So yeah. the whole thing sold to the gills. Um, that was also the first time I'd seen that many people in a room together since um, everything shut down. So that was interesting, but um yeah. He just commands an audience. Yeah. You know, you've got people who can be on stage, like singing and performing, Yeah, but then you've got people who can command an audience. He yeah. can command. Well, and it's fun. Like it's fun. It's, it's, yeah. it's just, you know, I, last time I saw them was a few years ago down here at the, at the shed here in, in Palm beach. And it was, it was just a really fun show, you know, and whether yeah. you like the music or not, it was just a blast to be there and people were into it. And, uh, you know, I just, I just really enjoyed it. And they do these audience interaction things that are kind of, kind of fun and unusual too. So, yeah. Yeah. He's, but they're great. They bring up people and they bring up little kids on stage, which is my, I love seeing that. That's cool. You know? And yeah, it's, it's cool. It's I good. love, I love when, uh, I love when the foos do that, when they bring up like yeah. uh, some young guitar player, you know, like kiss guy. I don't know if you ever saw the YouTube video of kiss guy on stage with, uh, yep. And, uh, you know, I love that kind of stuff. Like, it, again, it feels to me sort of like Daniel Ricardo versus <laughs> U2 is Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> you know, there's your comparison. So oh my God. Coldplay is Daniel Ricardo. U2 is Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Takes himself too seriously. <laughs> so That's I remember, I think like the first show you kind of got involved in was this, this, weird Asian virtual tour thing. Oh yeah. What was um, that? Like that was Wong the first. Feng. Wong, Wong Feng. Wong Feng. Wong Feng. He's like, yeah. He's like, I guess. Didn't they do that he, song? Uh, Dance hall days. I don't 
I, no, I'm, it's, a no, bad, no, it's a bad it's a bad 80s joke. That was Wang oh, Chung. That's the, Wang Chung. To yeah. Yeah. Mm, no, wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, it's he's uh this um Chinese rock star guy. Yeah. And I got I don't remember how I think I got connected with some people in Taiwan and they they wanted um they wanted a US lighting designer and so they called me and said, Hey, can you do this, this show? And originally I was going to travel for it. Um, and then obviously everything shut down and they still wanted me to do the design. So did it all virtually. So, you know, That's it was just crazy. a lot of, it was crazy. It was, it was a lot like of a stadium show too, wasn't it? It wasn't like a yeah. little, so you no. did a stadium show virtually. You, yeah. That's insane. I wish I could have been there. I mean, it would have been really cool to see it. Yeah. Um, it turned out great. I mean, basically, you know, we, we, we had to be really careful about how we went about stuff because, you know, we're, we're sending files online. And so like, you know, so it was a lot of like making sure payments come in before files go out Ooh, the door. Right. It was yeah. a very like bureaucratic yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, I feel like 50% of my job was just like contracts and, just making sure that payments security. Went through. Like, yeah. 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 And then wow. the other 50% was the actual design. But, um, I brought in Brian Jenkins, um, and he had actually worked with that artist before. Yeah. So, um, Brian Jenkins programmed it. He was my associate designer on the thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just, we did, we programmed it and then sent them videos of the, the programming model, the previous model. Right. Um, so see it and they'd make comments and then we would update it and then send them new videos. And like we had delivery dates and all sorts of stuff and yeah, and the file That's out crazy. and they had a, a programming team on site to execute it. That so, is crazy. Yeah. It was cool. So, you know, I mean, it, it's weird to think that it's really only been a year that we've been like that the lights have been back on. Right. Yeah. If and, that. You've been yeah. pretty busy though. Like what, what else have you been doing? It was, so it was mainly Coldplay in that. Um, uh, and then, you know, in the fall time, Evanescence went out. So I, I did that one, right. um, which they're still doing some stuff. They're going to Europe right now. Um, and you don't tour with any of these? No, uh, uh-uh, no touring. I, I feel like I was on tour with Coldplay, but I do not. So I'm not touring. Shaheem Lichmore is the lighting director for Coldplay. So you you won't tour now, or you just don't? You choose uh, not to? Do you just won't? Yeah, That's I, it. Yeah. I just not gonna do it. Yeah, I I mean I miss traveling. Beatles miss, reunion. Oh, Beatles touring, reunion but, goes huh? out. Beatles reunion. You know what's left of the Beatles? You're not gonna go do the Beatles reunion. Led Zeppelin. No. No. Nope. Wow. No. Nope. Oh, by the way, I just <laughs> hired a Formula One person. I, I meant to tell you that in our Formula One discussion. Thank you. Uh, uh, a young lady in, in Europe, a uh, British, British uh-huh. lady who, who she basically did the, um, I don't know what, uh, like almost the staging or the, the sort of pre yeah. for the, for formula one, like she'd get there before them and, and oh, so she's like the advanced site co person. Sort of like an advanced, yeah. but not really a site person. I don't know. It was, it, it was more about, um, experiential stuff and she got involved oh, okay. with a lot of the, the sponsors and stuff like that but she was with them for a long time and uh but we just hired her in europe she's she's our new uh 
uh, she deals with our sellers, our biggest sellers in nice. Europe. So, but, That's cool. um, so yeah, I mean, you've been super busy. So Evanescence. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been mainly Coldplay. They just had so many shows and like they, a lot of the designs in the fall time for all the promo stuff were different. So we were constantly on, um, yeah. And then, um, I couldn't really take on a ton more work because of that. Cause they were just so busy. Right. Um, but didn't you yeah. do something with uh ghost lumineers yeah, lumineers just went out i know that lumineers just went out yep lumineers um is uh i i still do with my my former business partner robert so okay. that one split with him and then um ian Haslauer is the lighting designer so that one is you know we do the drawings and we get it up and running and going and ian is just such a strong lighting designer and he's so good with that artist that he takes it from there and it, yeah. it's, it pretty much runs itself. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the ghost thing was fun because it was all just scenic and art direction. Wow. Um, and cause Eric birdie is the lighting designer and he's incredible. Uh, he's from Brazil. He's just this amazing lighting designer. So he handles everything. They just, they wanted some help with some scenic stuff. And so, um, I worked directly with Tobias lead singer, who is a brilliant, brilliant mind. And, yeah. um, I, you know, sketched up his thoughts and put them into 3D and we foam carved a set. So that, that, <laughs> that's an interesting topic. And I've asked people this before and I taught, I had a long conversation, I think with Peter Morse about it, but do you prefer when an artist is involved like that or when they're completely uninvolved? I am a huge collaborator, so I crave it. Really? Like I want to, Yeah. I would rather an artist say, you know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And then let me go with it. And then we bounce things back and forth. I prefer that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always happen. And when it doesn't happen, you know, it's fine. I mean, that just means that they're not as invested in the way the show is going to look, which is, it's fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, I crave it because we're essentially like, they're going to be playing behind, like in front of and surrounded by something that, they're you know they're spending money on like i would rather them have a little bit of a a say in what Some it's going to be yeah. Yeah. yeah and if it's not them it's a creative director that they're discussing with right like either way i've heard um, both sides of it and and yeah. both sides make sense you know i've i've heard designers who who you know want total you know creative yeah no input from the artist really like you know give me your comments on the final design and i'll tweak it a little bit or whatever but um, you know, I get it both ways. And, and, you know, again, growing up in Canada, I was always a big Triumph fan and, and Gilmore, yeah. the drummer from Triumph was very, very involved in not only their lighting designs, but their pyro, you know, he had a That's lot cool. to do with what they were doing for pyro and their entire yeah. show. Um, actually, by the way, they're, they're, uh, they've got this new documentary out Triumph does through this company that's been doing all these documentaries and, uh, it's really good. So just that's fun. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like if they get to the, if it gets to the point where they're so demanding and they're not understanding the actual logistics of how things work and like the budget constraints, that's when it gets a little bit too much for me, but, um, you know, then it's just a matter of getting management and production management involved to say, Hey, like this is cool, but this is how much it's going to cost. Are you willing to, take away some of the percentage of what you're going to make on the store for this, you know, and then just have the money people step in. And there's got to be a little bit of like, you know, show me respect. I'll show you respect too, because like I've seen, I've seen Madonna interact with her people and 
Yeah. Not a lot of respect. You know, it's just like, yeah. I fucking hate this. This is garbage. It's shit. I want it gone now. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's not collaborating. That's just, you know. I've been really fortunate not to come across that yet. Not yeah. on all things would. And yeah. Know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really come across that too much. I mean, actually the Wong Fang, I did. Like he was very much like, we sent him a first pass of all the videos and it was amazingly programmed and like really, really well done. And he's like, I hate all of it. Start it all over. And, but we knew that it was going to happen because it's actually apparently in like, oh, I could be totally misspeaking here, but I think there's something in that culture that if they are commissioning something, they, they really want to make sure that it's right. Yeah. And so they, they make you kind of go back to the drawing board sometimes. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what, that is what they told me. Like the, the people, the producers who hired me, who are from, Taiwan said, yeah. this is the way this is going to go. Be prepared. I, w- I was actually I- wondering, you know, when you mentioned culture on that one, I was wondering mm-hmm. culturally if it was going to be a problem that they brought in a female lighting designer, you know, they had no, pro- I mean, they had no problem with that. I had to do like this weird thing where, um, I did a side-by-side video where like we put the previs up and then me in the second window and like, I had to explain the cueing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, to prove because, you could you do know, it as well as a man. <laughs> it was, well, I don't know if it was necessarily like a gender thing, but yeah. they just like, they weren't understanding. Like, you know, you've got like this computer that's spinning out, you know, hundreds of moving lights worth of cueing. And it's sometimes it's not going to be on time because you hit the button and there's a whole bunch of processing that has to happen. And then the queue happens. And so we would line up the videos as best we could. And then I would have to like get on like, and just like narrate the huh. previs. And so he definitely saw my face yeah. <laughs> and saw me explaining stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, did the show so yeah no it's <laughs> it's it's problem. great it's fantastic i mean it obviously shows that we're changing as a world you know yeah, because cool. yeah 20 years ago i don't know if an asian artist would hire a female designer you know i don't Maybe know not, i don't know well it's, and, uh, I, it's I, the only other place i've ever had a hard time was in russia when i was touring but i mean yeah I, on that whole topic you know which i don't want to yeah. get into at all but it's just weird when you think of how fast things have improved it's why i push back on a lot of the racism stuff because when you look at where we are compared to where we were like not that many years ago a black person could not play golf at augusta you know and and now you've got tiger woods who's won there multiple times you know so i mean to me we've we've advanced a long way you're not gonna completely remove every bit of evidence that there ever was any kind of different you know behavior or whatever but uh you know so anyways we've made improvements but we can go further I wake up every day thinking today I'm not going to be perfect. I just want to be a little better, tiny, yeah. tiny bit better. And Let's I think as a needle. world, we should always <laughs> just try and try, try exactly. to move, the, try to move the needle. Have you yeah. seen anything like other than your own designs, of course, which are incredible. Have you seen <laughs> anything you. since, <laughs> since COVID that's blown you away? Oh my gosh. Uh, I haven't been able to see many live shows, unfortunately, because yeah. I've just been slammed. Um, but every, like, 
I've seen a lot of stuff online that are, it's really beautiful. People keep re- referencing the Tame Impala show. I don't constantly even know what that me. is. Like, it's, it's a band. Um, Tame, that, Tame Impala? Yeah. Never yeah. even heard of it. Rob Sinclair is the designer. Rob Sinclair is doing stunning stuff, by the I way. I must check uh, this out. Tame Impala. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of artists will be like, God, that Tame Impala show was really beautiful and inspiring. Like I have a lot of people say that to me. Huh. So um, good job, Rob. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out. Killing it. Rob Sinclair. Um, I, but yeah, I haven't really been able to see live shows. I really want to. Um, I, yeah, I just haven't had time. I've just been gone nonstop and I'm still really tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of it. No, I mean, we, we basically, like the, the music of the spheres tour, the Coldplay tour, like started in Latin America. So we did two weeks worth of, you know, rehearsals, programming, everything there. And then we had about three, four weeks between like they did Latin America and then went home for, I think two weeks or something. And then we started North America. So we had another week worth of rehearsals there too. So I basically did two sets of tour rehearsals for Coldplay. And prior to that did five weeks in, in London doing previs. So I just haven't. And did you have to go to the Seattle thing? Yeah, I was, I did all of the stuff in the fall. I was traveling. I did every single promo show except for maybe three. Um, so I was in LA and did iHeart in Vegas. And then we did global citizen in New York. And then we were home for five days. And then we went over to Europe and we did London and we did TV shows and sometimes we do two TV shows a day. Like we, I remember there was a specific instance where we did like we loaded in a TV show in the morning and then went across town and loaded in this earth shop prize thing. Yeah. And then like the next day did the TV show and then the earth shop prize show. And one day, like, so it was sometimes it was, you know, we're loading in one show while another one's happened. It was just like a lot. And it, it was amazing, you know, because they, they managed to do it so efficiently. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. what, what are you struggling with? Like what's, you know, this pandemic thing caused all kinds of problems and, and, you know, the gear problem is an interesting one because, um, one yeah. thing is that a lot of companies used, and I talked about this in the intro, which you haven't heard yet, but, um, a lot of companies used their gear as currency and, you know, they sold off inventory so that they could stay alive. They could keep their their company alive or they could keep their people paid or whatever it was. Um, But even if they didn't, a lot of companies took on a ton of debt, which means that they now have these financials that are poisonous according to banks and leasing companies and stuff. So you come in with this spec saying I need, you know, a thousand of the latest Robe fixture or whatever. Um, And they go, Oh shit. You know, we only have 50 of them. What do we do? And uh, so you know, I'm, I'm assuming gear is a big challenge, but can you be more specific, like on, on the types of challenges you have with gear? It's gear and people. Yeah, of course. It's both. Um, I actually two fire drills this morning trying to find gear. I like, because, you know, either something on the spec got left out or because the company suddenly doesn't have it available. Like right. that's happened where like, uh, we'll have like a spec ready to go out the door. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, 
we thought we had those consoles, but we actually don't. (laughs) And now you're like in a mad dash scramble to try to find whatever, or like we thought we had those lights, but we actually don't. Um, So yeah, I mean, those are the main problems. And, and it's just like, obviously, you know, that nobody likes to hear the, the challenges of shipping and, and supply chains and whatever, but it is a thing. Like there's nothing we can do. Like we can't, we can't say that that's not a problem because it's a very real issue. There's a, there's Uh, a, there's a lighting vendor that you and I both know, but I won't mention their name. And, um, recently they came to me because usually we're like the catch all at the end. When, when shit hits the fan, they'll call gear source and go, can you magically make this shit happen? And somehow we do. And so they called us and I'm going to make up the dates because I don't remember what it was, but they called us like, call it December 28th. Yeah. And they said, we need, um, I don't remember exactly what the fixtures was, but it was 200 fixtures. It might've been Roby stuff and we need them. uh, You know, we need 200 of these fixtures for this tour that we're doing. And we said, okay, great. No problem. Yeah. We can come up with those, even though they're not available anywhere, we can come up with those 200 fixtures. No problem. Uh, they're going to be roughly this price, which was a pretty reasonable price still, given the fact that there was a huge shortage on them and, uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You know, how can we pay for them? Yeah. Okay. That's all good. When do you need them? Yeah. They got to be here in this city in the United States by January 11th. And this was December 28th and we've got New Year's in between and they're coming from Asia to the United States, right? Yeah. And it's 200 fixtures and they need to be tested and they need to be prepped and shipped and all of these things. They're obviously not going to ship in a sea container at this point because we only have, you know, roughly eight business days to get them here or whatever it was. So, um, so then it took like four days to get paid and then it, you know, so we really had like three days to get 200 fixtures to their shop ready to hang and, and be put into production rehearsals. So long story short, I think it ended up being like a, like a $400,000 sale or whatever it was, 450, 500,000. I don't remember, but whatever the sale was, shipping was $200,000 more than the sale. It was, it was insane. It was more than double the price, you know, because of shipping. It's a real problem. And I mean, the thing is like, what I'm finding is, you know, a lot of, there's some, not a lot, but there's managers that are not understanding that. Right. Um, You know, I, I have, I have managed to like, kind of, like I said, I'm taking the summer off. I'm pretty serious about it. I, I said no to quite a few projects and, and a lot of the reason why I said no to some of these projects is because, um, you know, people, there's, there's not a real understanding of what the ask, what they're actually asking for. Right. You know, when you say I want to design, I want an arena tour design in a month and I want it right. Like the shows in a month or whatever that that's, you can't, that's just not possible these days without a ton of stress. And right you know, there are people out there that would, will take that on and that's great. And I'm, I'm so impressed by them. I just, I'm just really tired. (laughs) I'm just not going to take it on. And I think that the problem is like, there's not a real understanding of exactly how realistic these costs are. Like you can't plan these ticket sales two months ahead of time now, because 
even if you plan your ticket sales two months ahead of time, your, your budget that you've set forth two months, two months ago is not going to be what your budget is two months late. It's just, it doesn't work that way anymore because things change so quick. It's insane. Well, I, I was talking to a promoter, a, a, an independent promoter yesterday, and we were talking about a specific show and he said, you know, the, the main act, um, it was a, a rather small, it was like a 5,000 seat amphitheater, I think. Mm -hmm. And the main act was a decent draw. The opening act was at least as big a draw as the main act. None of the ads leading up to the event and even mentioned the opening act. None of them. And, yeah. and so he was talking to me and he's like, this is how stupid our industry is right now. Like we've just, you know, the promoters are doing a bad job. A lot of the, the performers are doing, like everybody is kind of, and so from my standpoint, struggle. like people ask me, you know, in the gear business, what can we do better? And it's just like, ask a little sooner, you know, like just, that, you know, move the timelines yeah up a little bit. And I understand this is sort of a trickle effect, right? It's a trickle up effect because we need to know, you know, 30 days in advance. That means somebody else needs to know 60 days in advance. Somebody probably needs to know 90 days. Totally. In but this is how you have to plan right now. That's all. <laughs> I mean, if you need a new car, you're not going to decide today and buy it this weekend. It's just not going to work like that. So you no. need to think, I need a new car in September. I'm going to order it in June because that's yeah. about what it's going to take. It's true. And it's actually funny. Look, my, um, one of my good friends, Kirk Miller once told me, he's like, I think I had come up to him about he's, he has a company called early bird. I don't know if you've heard of it, but that he know. and Eric Marchman's gave this great company called early bird, which is designer support, programming, drafting, rendering, all of it. Like great. And ages ago I, I asked him, for like, I needed to do a show within like two weeks and this is pre pandemic. So like, it was still kind of doable. And he's like, who are these people you're speaking to? You need to start a, a company called start sooner. Uh, <laughs> that is so great. That's awesome. And like, it couldn't be more like truth, truthful right now. It's just, I, it's really hard. And honestly, like, I feel really bad when people, you know, when this happens, because they've set forth this budget and I try really hard to stick to these budgets, right? Because this is, it's the music business. It's not the music fun right, times. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and so like everybody's out, you're not, the artist needs to make money too. Right. So if you've set a budget two months prior and you've based your ticket sales prices off of that budget, and then you get the production sorted and it's ready to go. And then all of a sudden, gas prices go up and shipping prices are up again. And that budget you've set forth two months ahead of time. Well, now it's a, you've over, you're over budget just because of the trickle down effect of all the right. logistics. To get that well, who's going to meet that? Who gets the blame? Yeah. Who's going to, who's going to eat the extra million dollars in costs or whatever. Right. Exactly. And Everyone the says not me. You know? Totally. And then, and then the, the problem is like, and what I'm, I'm seeing from a lot of my, just like talking to my designer friends and everything is that a lot of times like those fingers get pointed at creative because it's like, well, you've designed the show too big, but no, I've designed the show according to the brief and according to what the size of the, the show is. And according to what we've set forth, like, I always ask how many trucks is it going to be? You know, what's, what's the budget, whatever. And the problem is like you get to that point and it's like the trickle down effect has just put it over. 
That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting topic right there, because I could see the finger pointing back at you. You designed, you designed this monster of a show and now we can't afford it. It's your fault. sooner. But, but at the same time, they said they wanted it size, right? Like we, you design the appropriate size and I'm not saying it's just like, it's not just me. Like I literally like every designer friend I talk to is having this same challenge and it's, you know, um, and I, I do talk to a lot of designers because I really love them. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a, it's a challenge and it's, you know, you really have to have, like for me, I I'd say like the majority of the, my time is spent like really making sure that I'm not adding anything extra to the brief, you know, yeah. and like really making sure that everything is pretty purposeful. Yeah. Um, Somebody was yeah. telling me the other day they did a, a Pat Benatar show and it's, you know, it's pretty small, um, but they didn't bring a backdrop because of shipping costs or whatever. Right. So yeah. it was, there was no backdrop, you know? So the entire show is like the back wall of a venue, yeah. which could be cool actually. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I don't Honestly, know. Yeah. I think no, yeah, it's, it seemed like that. Mm-hmm. Everything, it's like if everything was this challenging before, every little yeah. piece is this much more challenging. Yeah. And then that has sort of a knock on effect on all the things behind it. And yeah. it's it's just crazy. And I mean, you know, people come to me all the time now and say, Oh my God, you must be just cash and checks and you're banking, <laughs> Marcel. But every sale we make has complications that it didn't used to have. And yet we make the same skinny little percentage we always did on every one of these sales. So, um, you know, it's, it's more work, same money basically. And you know, the top line's going up, but the bottom line seems to stay squashed down, you know? So, um, yeah, it's not, it's a very, and I don't know how it writes itself. Yeah. And I don't know how long it's going to take because it's, we're just, I think for a long, long time, we weren't really, we were a little bit more um, self-sufficient in our industry as in like, and now I, I don't know. And maybe this is just my ignorance. It's probably my ignorance, honestly, but I feel like now we're more reliant on a lot of outside sources that we weren't really reliant on before. And so the rest of the world operates at a very different pace than we do. So I think a lot of it is just going to be trying to figure out how to, um, you know, reconfigure our, our strategies and our processes, our processes, as you would say, yeah. Uh, well, Mr. Uh, yeah. I talked <laughs> so to somebody else this week who, better. yeah, we were talking about buses and they mm-hmm. had an act, they had like a, a three sm- small eighties bands, I think, um, playing a venue down here. And, the routing that they had to do just to get to a tour bus. So like instead of, cause they couldn't get buses down here. So they had to fly from here to somewhere else to Alabama or something to get a bus. And yeah. it, like, it was just the logistics behind it were just crazy. And like I said, it's every, it, it's all over the place. Yeah. So, And God. this is another thing is now that the flights, the flights are crazy because just last weekend, you know, Robert's supposed to fly in to, to hang out with me on Lumineers to go to, you know, go sit in rehearsals with me. And he was really stoked to be there. He wanted to see the show come to life because we're really proud of it. Yeah. And um, the night before his flight cancels and it's like, there's no weather, nothing. And it, it's like, why is this no flight canceling? And because no they're pilot. having, yeah, they're having staffing issues themselves. So like, I can't imagine 
you know, the travel agents and, and the production coordinators and production managers trying to get crew and band around the planet alone. The logistics on that is hard. It it is touring is not for the faint of heart these days. Well, this, this past weekend, Sunday, I had two people tell me on Monday that their flight was canceled on Sunday. Cosmo, um, who was flying through, I think it was Newark and Mm -hmm. a friend of mine here who I saw at the gym, uh, yesterday morning, he said that he flew into, uh, Philadelphia from Italy on Sunday and his flight was canceled. So he didn't get out until Monday morning and it's all pilots, you know, they don't have pilots for these flights. And I think it's a similar reason, you know, because these people just quit and went on to do other things or they're flying private or they're doing whatever they're doing. And, but the scary thing, and I had this conversation with a friend this morning, I don't know if you've heard this, but they're lowering the training requirements for new pilots coming in so that they can get new pilots in quicker this makes me and, really and easier. Not want to work oh yeah. Summer. Like I really want to fly <laughs> commercial. Right. So, um, great. So, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a little, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. I keep saying it. It's, and I, like I said, I don't know when it's going to write itself. I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, I wish I, mean, I did. I feel like every time we start making progress, um, something else slaps us. Well, down. and I'm, I'm famous <laughs> for making terrible predictions on this whole COVID thing and stuff. So yeah. I won't even try. You know, I keep, I keep thinking like by the end of this year, we're going to see real progress. But I think there's a lot of underlying cancers. Like, like yeah. I said, in our industry, on the gear side of it, lighting and sound companies that are just carrying toxic debt right now, that's going to like, I don't know if you know world stage in your world, but you know, they went bankrupt. I, if I was to guess, I'd say world stage was probably a $75 million company, you know, and they went bankrupt just recently, just like, you know, a couple of months ago. And, um, you know, that's scary. Like, I mean, you know, I could see little five and $6 million companies going bankrupt, but when bigger yeah. ones like that do, you're like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. But it's, it's all debt, you know? It's Yeah. I know. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, it's, we'll see where it goes. I'm hoping that by the fall time, it's a little bit better. Like hopefully like once we get through the summer of festivals and, you know, I mean, honestly, like this is kind of the first year that all the European festivals are are going out, right? So that's like one of the things that I'm finding challenges. One of the fire drills today was like trying to get gear for an artist that's doing some well, yeah, European festivals, and they and this production manager is amazing, and he started back in February wow. <laughs> trying to get here, yeah. and so like if he's he's tried since February, and like we're still at the point of you know this, so uh, it's. Yeah. Well, Europe, I don't know. Europe is interesting because like, so for a long time when people would call us with the, oh shit calls, you know, like uh, we're 50 lights short or we need a MA3 console or whatever. Um, it was mostly us based companies because Asia yeah. was completely closed still. Europe was pretty much closed still. And so it was really just the U S uh, Australia, New Zealand a little bit, but, um, you know, mostly North America. And now Europe is, so Asia was a seller, a big time seller. Europe was a seller. Europe stopped Mm -hmm. being a seller about maybe 
five, six months ago. Asia right. has just stopped being a seller and now they're starting to try to buy back a lot of the shit that they sold. So it's like everyone in the world now is looking for the same gear. And, yeah. you know, some days I just want to take the summer off because it's like, what? I, I don't have you. it. But Marcel, I mean, here's a million dollars. Sell yeah. it to me now. I don't have it. Sorry. There's a lot of reasons why I'm taking the summer off. And that's you're one smart. Of the big ones. Yeah, you're smart. I, that's well, a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Last year was really, really rough for my husband and I. Yeah. And um, and then um, and then just like the amount of, of work of really good, amazing work. Yeah. With with Coldplay was it's just it's time to just chill for a second. Well, no, you have <laughs> we to. We also bought to. a house in Kentucky. So I, know, I really want to enjoy it. <laughs> so are you going there for the yeah. whole summer? I'm going to spend as much time as I can up there. Yeah. Good so, um, in fact, uh, we, um, we're, we've never driven a boat in our lives. Um, like I used to sail as a kid with my friend, yeah. but I drive the boat. Um, but uh, we uh, we got a pontoon boat and we're we're putting it in the water on Saturday. So Good for you, this weekend's going to be my first experience. Here's what I would recommend. <laughs> so, you know, I did the same thing. Like not long after I moved to South Florida, I had never owned a boat in my life. I grew up poor. I barely even knew people who had boats, right? <laughs> and so, um, somebody recommended this to me. But you can hire these former like Coast Guard captains and stuff to come out for a day. And oh, wow. you, they'll basically give you a coast coast guard course in a day or two. Wow. And it's, it's so important. I mean, it's much more important here than it is on a little lake in Kentucky, yeah. but here in the ocean, yeah. like, I mean, you can jump on a, a thousand horsepower boat that you've never driven a boat in your life and you can go straight out on the ocean and go to the Bahamas, right? There's no rules that stop you from doing that, but there's a very good chance you're going to die. You know, and, yeah. and kill the other people that are on the boat with you, by right. the way. So, you know, I mean. Yeah, that's definitely, that's like, that's like pro league boating. I'm on like, maybe like JV league boating right now, pontoon on a really tiny lake in Kentucky. Like, but Yeah, but what do you do when a, a lightning storm is coming towards you? You know, you yeah, don't know. know. You don't Those know. Those are the things. We are very, so this community that we bought this house in is the loveliest. And the people are so sweet so hospitable. Yeah. Um, we did some renovating at the house and our contractor, um, is just like, whatever you need, like I'll put the boat in the water with you, no problem. And That's I'll cool. show you how it works. Um, and so in fact, on Sunday we were, you know, I think we were like grilling some hot dogs on the deck or something. And, uh, and like he pulls up in his pontoon next to our dock and he's like, Hey guys, how's it going? And he's like, you, come on down, give you a spin on the lake. You've been out here yet. And so we're like, okay, let's go button up the grill, go down the dock and jump on the boat. And you know, that's that's the thing is like, we have neighbors that like drive by the house on their boats and just wave and have, we have conversations shouting from our porch to them. And then we have conversations with our, our cul-de-sac neighbors. It's, it's just a really cool community. You so, never know. It might be kind of like the Ozarks though, where they're all like growing heroin in their backyard and stuff. So you oh gotta be God. careful. You gotta watch these people. I'm telling you. This is actually, I know there is my, so it's so funny. Cause my college roommate said the same thing. She's like, everybody's so nice up there. Are you sure they're all serial killers? I'm like, they're yeah. not serial killers. Yeah. But I don't know. this I would check. really crazy thing happened. We were trying to hire a handyman to, um, this is totally not work related guys. I apologize. It's all good. We were trying to hire a handyman to, uh, 
like trim down all the, there's no lawn. It's like a very deep, steep cliff of like rock and weeds and like rock based plant. So we need to weed whack all of this stuff. And so um, my husband's back is really bad. So we're trying to hire this handyman to come and do this. So we meet the handyman who is also helping out our neighbors and who also helped our former own, the former owners of our house out. So he um, literally knows where the bodies are buried. He knows, well, he knows, he knows the area and he knows what needs to be done to these homes. And so, you know, Chris goes up and he weed whacks the, the lawn. And he's like, this is all, I can't do this. My back is killing me. We need to hire this guy. I was like, well, let's just call this dude. And so our neighbors happened to be there and he went and talked to them and they're like, yeah, don't hire that guy. And we're like, what do you mean? It turns out the night that I had met him, he went back to his house and murdered his girlfriend. What? And, he's, and I was like, and he's still out weed whacking people's houses no, and stuff. Not. Oh no, he's, he's gone now. He got, oh. he got, he got arrested. Oh, so you can't. Hire how freaky. Good Lord. I know. And I'm like running on these country roads by myself. You know, I can finally run again. My hip is now no Damn, longer. Injured, uh, I'm running on these country roads thinking to myself, maybe this isn't a great idea. Maybe I should stay. Wow. I know. Well, um, just watch was, the Ozarks. You know, they're all nice. I'm, I'm not going to watch that show. Chris yeah. watched it and I will not watch it because this is very reason. Oh, <laughs> so by the way, back on topic here. So we raced yeah. in the Ozarks. We raced at a track oh, yeah. at a track called uh, Ozark Motorsports Park or something. A brand new yeah, track. I, we were one of the first major races there. I and, remember uh, seeing you guys posting about it. Crazy. It was, yeah, my son totaled his car and, you know, yeah. got in a 140 mile an hour wreck with someone who spun That's in front so of him. scary. Yeah, yeah it was kind of, okay. it's a dangerous ass track. It's like it? every other race that like Lamborghini, uh, what do they call their super trofeo, um, canceled there. Uh, SRO canceled, like a lot of these big, big races that were going there canceled. Cause it's, it's a crazy track. Like it's everything's, everything's downhill off camber. So you're going downhill and you're, you want to be leaning this way as you're turning. Yeah. Right. But it leans out instead. Way. So it's throwing you off the track and then there's no runoff. So you hit a wall right away. That's the design of this track. Like there's no runoff I anywhere. Mean. So if you go off track, you're into a wall. It sounds like a massive waste of money. Like, did they, it was going to fix it? Yeah. So not this for was, you guys, I mean, for the track build, like, well, no, it's a rich guy who built it as like sort of a racing country club kind of thing. And, and yeah. if you went there by yourself with a fast car, you'd have fun on it because if you're not racing other people, chances are you're not going to go off the track unless you're just a beginner right. and you're going too fast. But if you're by yourself, like my son said, it's a really fun track if you're on it by yourself. But as soon as you're trying to pass somebody and, you know, they're on the outside of you and stuff is going to go really, really bad there. And it did. I mean, it's the first time we've ever completely destroyed a car. You know, we've never had that that much damage That's on crazy. a car. Oh, so, God. Yeah. That's so sad, too. When I saw that post, I was like, oh, I was so gutted for you guys. Yeah, but it was uh, back in three days. We were at uh, Barber Motorsports yeah. Park three days later. So yeah. it, it, the bad thing was we had a DNF. You know, we didn't get points for the yeah. race. So, um, but he's still, I think he's fourth he's, in points right now or something. So he'll be all right. Yeah. He's going to cool. win. We're at VIR next weekend. So. Oh, yeah. Hopefully he's going to win. There. Are you going to come to the Nashville, to the Indy race here in Nashville? I think so. 
I think so, because I did talk to someone about that and uh, I'm going to try. I don't know. We'll see. We bought our tickets already. Did you? Yeah. Good for you. I have to like put put it in the, put it in the calendar. Maybe I should ask Allison. Allison! (laughs) All right, Sooner. Well, you, uh, you are busy and I'm going to leave you alone, but um, I'm still in my PJs. <laughs> if, well, but Allison has things lined up for you. She told me. I mean, when, she said as soon as soon as she was done eating her bacon, she was gonna you know book some stuff for you today. So you were oh, gonna great. be very busy. Okay, cool. You're gonna be. Um, I've got to go to. Um, I've got to go consolidate all the rest of my fourth wall furniture uh, inventory and uh, keep selling it. That's what I've got to do next. That's where I'm headed. Where are headed you selling to- it on Facebook Marketplace? We were having like little warehouse sales oh. and then, uh, and, uh, at this point though, I think I'm going to start posting stuff on Facebook marketplace. The problem yeah. with that is now I have to like meet up with people and keep going back and forth. Allison. And that's actually Allison more time. No, well, Allison's on tour. So Allison oh, can't, no. Allison's not back until June. That's problematic. <laughs> that could be problem. Pro- no, I've had a similar situation cause I've been in the process of selling my building and, um, yeah. And just getting stuff out of there. And then it's like, what do I do with all this stuff? And so I'll put it on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. And then you get these people calling you and emailing you and texting you and all this stuff. And it's just like, oh my God, leave me alone. You know, like I put seven iMac computers that I have no idea how old they are. They're from a company that I closed four years ago. So they're at least five or six years old, these computers, right? Seven iMac computers for $800 total for seven computers, right? I said, I have no idea what operating systems in them. I have no idea how old they are. I'm pretty sure they'll all turn on. It's cheap. Here you go. So then you first message you get back is how much for one? Yeah. Can can I get one for $118? Cause that's like one seventh of $800. And I'm like, no, you can't get one for $118, you know, buy it or don't. So, that's the thing. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, can I, can I take this for $50 cheaper? Cause this got this yeah. one little scratch. Could, no, you can't. Cause could, you're already getting it at 75% discount. <laughs> can you show me pictures of the bottom of the cushions? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, can all of that stuff. Can you measure the feet? Tell me how big the feet are in circumference. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, leave me alone, please. I know. You know, it's so. all right. At least I have my, um, my business partner to help me out on it. So there you just, go. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enjoy, enjoy the, enjoy the lake this summer. I'm actually going up to my house in Canada this summer. So we'll compare pictures of, uh, although I'm, I'm not taking the summer off. I'm just working from my house in Canada instead of from here. But, and this is the thing, right? I'm not actually off. I'm working on things for the fall, right? And for 23. So it's, I'm going to be on my laptop. It's just, my view is not going to be what's behind me with like my coats and my cookbooks and stuff. It's going to be, you know, the lake. Yeah. No, good. Well, I mean, for me, that's, that's mental health, you know, like I, my house is in the mountains up there and, you know, I yeah. know where you're at, you see more mountains than, than we do here in Florida, but I really miss going up there and looking out at the yeah. mountains and the beautiful stuff, you know, nature going on hikes and Wildlife. stuff like that. So there's eagles yeah. all no, I have, over that. Place. I have like 50 elk behind yeah. my house most days, you yeah. know, just wandering around. And, always there. Yeah. So, yeah. so right. I'm, there's I'm really looking this, forward to it. That's awesome. I'm glad that's good. It's uh, it's important. I think we all kind of need to, I think we've all sort of realized uh, through the pandemic, how much self-care and like 
mental health is yeah. like a really, really big, important thing. And yeah. I'm feeling like I need some self-care and a little bit of work on my mental health. So Good that's what I'm you. doing. And some boating. Take that world. Don't get murdered <laughs> in Kentucky. Not going to get that, murdered that by handyman. You know? Yeah. That's frightening. That's crazy. All right, Sooner. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Have a great week. Thank you for doing this again. And we'll have to check in again in the fall at some point. Absolutely. I'm here for it. See you Anytime. See ya. Have a good one. Thing.